This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Chuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. As a business owner, the path to building your business has never been easy. It may have started with a simple idea, but you would have dedicated countless hours to research, prototyping, and refining your product. The world of business is not a straight path. Work doesn't stop when you created the product. You have to build a brand, establish and nurture a community. Think about trademark and eventually onboarding investors and mentors. Navigating through all these nuances seems like a lot. With everything that's changing rapidly, how can a business owner adapt and overcome these challenges? In today's episode of The Bottom Line, we had the pleasure of interviewing Sarah Foray and Lewis Battersby, the co-founders of Contour Cube. Contour Cube is a popular ice facial tool that has transformed the world of skincare. Sarah and Lewis talked about how they started, from creating Contour Cube to their Shark Tank Australia experience. They also shared their learnings, discoveries, and exploration in their business journey. You'll learn the significance of adapting to unexpected turns, gain insights into the value of strategic partnerships, and discover the importance of staying agile in the ever-evolving business landscape. Plus, Sarah and Lewis offered valuable advice for inspiring entrepreneurs looking to navigate challenges and uncertainties. Let's dive in. Sarah Lewis, thank you so much for joining me on The Bottom Line today. It's a pleasure to have you here. For those that don't know you, can you tell us a little about your business, yourselves, and your journey? Thank you so much for having us. So we are the co-founders of ContourQ, the world's first eye spatial tool, which we actually designed in lockdown. And it was very much inspired by my mom. So she loves icing her skin and she was icing her skin with slippery ice cubes. And she really encouraged me to start icing my skin. And I do everything my mom tells me to. So there I was icing my skin every morning. And I just loved the feeling. It gave me an instant wake me up and it just made me feel really refreshed. And the more that I read about the benefits, the more I was amazed by it. Like, not only skincare benefits, but benefits beyond skincare, things like helping to reduce anxiety to help you feel grounded and things like that. So as I was incorporating it into my daily skincare routine, I quickly realized how awkward, slippery and messy the whole process was. And I saw my mom struggling with slippery ice cubes. And I was like, surely there's an easier way to do this. And to our surprise, After we did some research, we realized there was actually no tool out there for the purpose of facial icing. And there was this real gap in the market and we were so surprised. So we actually have a 3D printer at home, as you do. And it was the strategic gift I actually gave to Lewis for his birthday um, because we ended up using it to fast track the whole prototyping process. So we were printing different shapes and sizes until we were happy with what the contour cube is today. And then once we were happy 
we decided to launch the product on TikTok and the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. I'd love to know a little bit more about your background. So obviously you guys are a couple and Sarah, what's your actual professional background? Are you an artist, a designer? Where does your actual professional background come from? I was working at The Iconic for four years. I was an account manager there. And then prior to that, I was working in a production agency. So where we actually like brought products to life and we worked really closely with creative agencies who would come with us with crazy ideas and say like, can you make this? And we're like, yes, we can. And we'd come up with a way to bring it to life. So I think that's where the whole idea for ContraCube kind of stemmed from as well. Just loving the idea of coming up with an idea and bringing it to life. That is amazing. And Lewis, what's your background? Surely it wasn't in in the makeup world, but what was it? Oh, what can I say? (laughs) So my background is from graphic design as well. So I've always been a very creative person. And like, I kind of fell into like when I was younger, I struggled with dyslexia. So like, I was never really good at like reading and writing. So like, I really threw myself into just being creative and, and bringing things to life. And then, and then I ended up having my own business back in the UK, which was just around business branding. So we would do vehicle wrapping and help companies that actually have a brand identity. And then when I moved to Australia, I continued that and I was working for a, a national vehicle branding company. So we would wrap all the cars for all like the major fleets across Australia, which is a really niche industry to be in. But always had a passion for business, always had a passion for product design. And I love machines. So like when Sarah actually bought me a 3D printer, I was like over the moon. So while she, it was a strategic present from her, I was really happy to kind of get it too. So it just allowed us to like have a lot of fun with playing around with different things and, and making a lot of random stuff. And um, that's kind of where we've got to today, being able to use it to our benefit and create a cool brand. It sounds like it's a match made in heaven for not just as a couple, but for business owners. You guys bring so much unique skills to the table that are so complimentary. Take us back to how the product just went viral because there was an, an element of you saw a gap in the market, which was quite obviously shocking at that point in time for yourselves. You built a product, you've got the experience, and then it went quite well quite quickly. Sarah, just take us through that journey where you're ready to go to market and how did the sales come up and what was that journey like and how did you sort of, was that surprising to you and what were your thoughts in those early stages of launching that product? Yeah, so it was in lockdown at the time when we launched the product and everyone was on TikTok and we were like, what is this platform like? What is all the buzz about? Let's go on here and see what's going on. And we were scrolling on the platform and we quickly found ourselves in a like small business community. And I was like really drawn to all these videos of people showing their behind the scenes of their business, showing their business journey, the inspiration behind their business, how they grew their business. And I I loved how unpolished it was. It was very rare for a a platform like TikTok to show that. It wasn't like you would see that kind of thing naturally. So I was like, this is a really cool way to launch a product. When we come up with a cool idea, like we should definitely do this. I remember telling you. When we decided to launch a product, I literally was standing in the middle of my living room and I just created a video that said, hey guys, I'm Sarah. I created the product. It's called ConjoCube. This is how you use it and these are the benefits. And that at the time, that video probably hit 10 to 20,000 views. It wasn't crazy, but it generated immediate sales, which really surprised me because no one had ever seen the product. No one had ever seen myself. And I was able to build trust with the customer to go and, and convert and buy that product. And then from there, we're very inspired by another creator who was showing the whole business journey of how they created their business and 
it was a bit of like a montage of how it all came to be. So I was like, okay, let's create a video very much in that same format. Let's show how we create the product. Let's bring mom into the video. Oh, uh, it was wow. like drag mom into the video, which she was very embarrassed about. But I was like, no, mom, you got to be in this. I got to show the inspiration. Like you're the inspiration behind the business. And I think people really liked being able to relate to the people behind the brand and behind the business and kind of showing how it all came to be. We showed like snips of our 3D printer. We showed how to use the product, how awkward it is using a slippery ice cube. So really visually showing the pain points. And it was that TikTok that went extremely viral. So within 24 hours, it hit a million views. And I didn't think anything of it. Like when we posted it the night before, I'm like, hey, good night, like normal day. And then next day, sold out of all our products, all these comments going crazy, like, where can I buy it? Like, this is amazing. You know, I wish I had this back in my uni days, like all this great positive feedback. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like I did the world's smallest focus group, which is myself and my mom. And now actually people like are interested in buying the product as well. So it was just such a great way to like, yeah, validate the product and speak to our customers in real time as well. So now the question is, it's gone viral. You got, you sold out of the product. Who out of the two of you is in charge of production at this point in time? Oh yeah. So I guess, <laughs> good question. Both of us. Both of us. Yeah. We share a lot of roles, but yeah. So Sarah is definitely the one that would be in charge of dealing with the manufacturing and stuff like that at that point in time. I'm more in charge of logistics and she's in charge of production. So she gets the product ready and then I will get it shipped. So Sarah, you woke up, it's gone viral, comments are going crazy, you've sold out. How did you solve your production issue? Surely that little 3D printer wasn't producing enough for where you are too. So take us to your, now the excitement of having this legitimate business going so fast, so quick. Give us some tips on sort of how you went through those challenges because as much as it would have been exciting, you both would have been quite like, hold on, we're going to solve some of these problems. What were those problems and how did you solve them? Yeah, so we really didn't expect to sell out of the product that quickly. We only had a couple hundred units. So we were in a bit of like a rock and a hard place. So like on one hand, do we continue posting on TikTok and build this momentum and drive all this traffic even more to our website, which doesn't have any stock? Or do we just kind of pull back on like posting and, and driving more traffic? So what we decided was like, okay, let's just continue the momentum and keep posting, even though we don't have any product in stock. But what we did is we put a pop-up on our website so that we could collect all these email addresses so we could retarget those people when we were ready. In the meantime, we were speaking to our manufacturing company and luckily we had all this real-time feedback from our customers already. So we had launched with the original pink contour cube. People were saying, what about a mint color? What about a purple color? What about black? So we we're like, this is awesome. Let's do those colors as well. So we had already like brought these new colors to our manufacturer and said, yeah, let's go ahead with this. And so when we were ready and back in stock again, we had about 20,000 email addresses that we had collected over that period to then remarket to. And then we sold that again when we were back in stock. Yeah. So they were basically signed up for pre-order stock as well. Yes, that's right. We had a pre-order on the website as well. So people could literally go online and we actually got a bit scared because too many people were doing it and we hadn't ordered enough stock. So we we're like, oh my God, like now we've sold out of our pre-order, but we, like, we're going to need to turn it off. Um, so it was a really unique situation to be in such a hyper demand, but that ultimately helped our growth and our, our, our exposure and, and create a real buzz on socials um, to really help elevate our brands very, very quickly. We've moved very, very quick in, in a couple of months for sure. 
So three years in, how do you deal with production now? Is it done in Australia? Is it done overseas? How much stock do you have? Is Obviously, you've solved that problem. Tell us what that looks like in today's world. Absolutely. So today, what we've managed to do is set a lot more structure up in terms of supply chain and how that all works. And um, due to TikTok, we were exposed to such a global audience, which meant that we've had to like adapt into international markets as well, um, just for the demand of the product. So we get it made overseas and then obviously have to logistically work out how we're going to get it into each country that we want to ship it to, to help it get to the customer quicker. We've also, we are, when we were living in our one bedroom apartment, which we still live in our one bedroom apartment. And uh, we were doing all the packing ourselves. We decided to move to like 3PL as well to help support that supply chain. Um, just because the order volumes were getting too big and, and all of our time, was to spend packing orders pretty much. Uh, so we weren't really able to kind of focus too much on growing the business. It was great for content because we could just set up a, a camera and just film ourselves packing boxes. But ultimately, it was really, really labor intensive. And Sarah's mom actually lost her job recently because she used to work for us as our packer, but now she's like, retired. now she can live a retired life. She used to come in every day to help us pack our orders. She was the best. She had her own little desk. She you know? was a trooper. We would be packing sometimes till midnight. And I'm like, mom, we can take you home now. <laughs> That is amazing. Now, we talked a little about TikTok and it went viral, but um, you also had one of the biggest influencers in the world actually catch on to this and you didn't reach out to her. Tell us the story about Kendall Jenner. I know you've said this a million times, but I've never heard that story. I'd love to hear how that even happened. It was honestly the wildest thing. So we woke up that morning and Lewis was kind of like, wait, like, why do we have so many sales? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, maybe it's a TikTok that's gone viral. Maybe someone's posted about it. Maybe a PR article's come out. And then I woke up, looked at my phone and there had all these screenshots from my friends being like, oh my God, I wish you were awake right now. Like this is happening. And I was like, wait a minute. And then I went onto Kendall Jenner's Instagram and she posted Love this tool for my morning ice facial, holding the contour cube. And I was like, oh my God, this is so wild. So I definitely put that down to like our TikTok virality. We just went so viral on TikTok. We were very much trending in the US, but till this day, we're really unsure how she got her hands on the product. Like, did she buy it? Was she gifted it? Maybe she bought from one of our US retailers. But I think one of the really cool things is sort of like what we did after that, which is create another piece of content around how Kendall posted about us. So we created a quick video of our like surprise of her posting about it and then sort of a backstory of like how the product came to be. So we posted that video on TikTok and that hit 7 million views. Reposted that video onto Reels and that hit 7 million views as well. So that drove so much traffic and a lot of sales as well, which was insane. That is such an amazing story. It just shows how powerful the social media reach is. We've had a couple of recent episodes around that and and in all different industries that your reach now is so big if you get it right. Lewis, I just want to talk about this global side. You're an Australian company and one of the, the things that the Australian government encouraged business owners to do is export, export our products to the globe. I'd love to know, you just said, Sarah, that you went viral in the US. How much of your revenue now that things have stabilized is export? Yeah, I mean, a significant amount in terms of where it all comes from. Like we have a really strong Australian community as well and, and a customer basis, which is really good because the last thing we wanted to was just have all international business. Um, so we've got a really strong hold on like 
the Australian market and also um, building the community here. But internationally in the US, I'd say uh, 30 to 40 percent of our, of our market is there. And then also in the UK as well, we have a very strong UK community. And there's like three countries, obviously Australia, UK and US that we actually work with. And we have like stock there to help really get the products to customers quicker. But because of the virality, we've literally sold to pretty much every single country in the world. Like it's ridiculous. Like we've had to actually scale back where we can ship to because sometimes it will just come back because they just <laughs> can't get there. But literally when we had at the time when we were going so viral as well, like on our Shopify account, we could see all the locations from where people were, were coming on and it would go from like, it might go to Indonesia and then it goes to Japan and then suddenly it's in like Mexico and then it's Brazil and then suddenly it's in like Korea or something. It was like moving around. You've seen these massive clusters just move around with people and people just buying. And that was the crazy virality of like social media and, and how you've got to kind of really understand what markets you want to do business in and grow into. So that's the one thing that's really helped us to expand our business at the rate that we have. Because instead of having to just ship within Australia, we, we were very, from a very early age in the business, able to export and get the product into international markets. And that's been huge for us and honestly a massive reason why we've managed to grow such a strong brand today. One of the anxiety moments would have been if I was a business owner with you guys, be like, we've stumbled across a product or a solution to something that no one else has actually solved. And when you go viral and make so much noise in that market, I would have thought the bigger boys would have gone, hold on a second, people like L'Oreal, not a, not a fashion, like a beauty person, but there'd be companies that would have gone, why didn't we think of this product? And I think for business owners like yourselves that are small, did you also have some form of anxiety that you had to get to the market so quick and penetrate so quickly to sort of keep the big whales at bay? And tell us if that what that was. Did any of those whales knock on your door? Was there any sort of... What did you do in that world of thinking through, we've solved a product uniquely and what does that, how did you navigate through that considering that some of these bigger companies might copy your products, make some changes, put millions and millions of dollars of marketing and just wipe you off the table? Did that happen and was that a concern? And just talk us through that as a small business owner and what you did then. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear that story, Sarah. Yeah, so I guess the cool thing is that because of the virality, we actually had quite a few major retailers reach out to us quite early on. The first one being Urban Outfitters in the US. So three months in, Urban Outfitters reached out and like, would love to stock your product. And we're like, what is happening? Like, that's amazing. Like, of course. So we were stocked there first. And then, yeah, I guess we were lucky enough for more retailers to reach out to us in the UK. And then this year we launched across all Priceline stores in Australia and other online retail stores and like Woolies Everyday Market, The Iconic and things like that. So we definitely had that in our minds and wanted to use distribution as a way to get the product out there even more. We definitely thought about like IP from the very beginning and we made sure we had like our design registrations in place, our trademarks in place, especially because we were growing the brand so quickly. We definitely knew that that was a really important thing to have. I think when it comes to competition and obviously, like you say, the big boys trying to muscle in on, on your industry, the unique thing about what we stumble across is we'd created a brand new category. So chilled skincare is something that we're like the pioneers of. So realistically, we're learning before anybody else learns the answers. So unless they like really dedicate a massive amount of their resources to this industry, like they're not going to really know what we know. So we were actually able to use that to our advantage 
And we have a community that really gives us real-time feedback, which they don't have. So we've got people who actually use the product who already benefit from all things that it offers. And that helps us to obviously innovate and look further forwards to the future and other areas that we can expand on and expand the range and to really feel that demand. And that's kind of like how we've established our foothold as a brand and that people recognize in this um, chilled skincare space. All right. I'm going to change gears a little bit now. I want to talk through the experience you had on Shark Tank. I have a little bit of knowledge of the background of it and how it all went because Sabri Subi is a good friend of mine and the client of the firm. But tell us about your story. What made you go on Shark Tank? And yeah, sort of that experience because you guys absolutely nailed it. So can one of you share the story on why Shark Tank and what that experience was like? Yeah, so with a lot of our online community and basically when we were posting on TikTok, we had a lot of comments around people saying like, you should go on Shark Tank because they've never seen the product before. And when we launched it, we were very much fueled by the idea of being first to market. So a lot of our comments were very much saying like, you should go on Shark Tank, which was very cool. So that's kind of how initially we had the idea to go on it in the first place. So I kind of went on a rampage at that point in time being like, oh my gosh, I want to go on Shark Tank. Let's see if the show's going to come out again because it hasn't been around in Australia for five years. So I found this random splash page that was like, put your interest in if you're interested in to apply for the show, put my email address in. And I was like, it hasn't been around five years. What are the odds of it ever coming back? Never thought about it again. Six months later, I got an email being like, you put your interest in for, you know, a show. We've got a business show coming out if you want to apply. And we were so busy at the time. That's when like a lot of our wholesale sort of partnerships were coming to fruition, Priceline orders, things like that. We also had to deal with Chemist Warehouse New Zealand and it was all happening at that time. And I remember telling Lewis like, hey, I'm going to apply for the show. And he was like, oh, Sarah, stop getting so distracted. Like, we've got so many other things we need to be doing. And I was just like, okay, it's fine. I was like, we've got a lot of video content. I can just like upload a video. I can answer the questions. It'll be fine. And then later on, we actually realized the show was Shark Tank because they don't tell you what it is. Initially, they say the show is let's get down to business. They have to be really vague about it. And then, yeah, then I guess we were like really obsessed with the idea. We're huge fans of the show. We were always watching the US one. And yeah, and then when we realized it was Shark Tank, we were really pumped and extremely nervous at the same time. Yeah, and Sarah is an extremely good organizer. So in terms of practicing for things and, and getting things on point, we would literally every single morning, I would wake up not to like, hello, I would wake up to like, hi, my name is Sarah. And I, I responded, my name's Lewis. And we were seeking, <laughs> like, it was like, it was like training. She wouldn't even be in the room and I'd just hear her voice say it and I would just repeat back. And we would walk around and we'd go for walks. We'd just go around family and friends and we'd just do it randomly and we'd get feedback. And we practiced probably for about a month, just literally every day, like throughout the day all the time, just saying things and perfecting things. So like when we literally walked into the tank, it was like an out-of-body experience where we just, I don't remember saying any words, but like, it was just, it just came out. Yeah, we, I think we practiced our pitch so much. It was like, I want no amount of pressure to affect us being able to just get the words out. Yeah. So yeah, we made sure that we practiced a lot. And on the day we were so nervous, like we were sculling water, but our mouths were still dry. Yeah. Like, it was just, and then the first thing I said on te- national television was I need to pee in the oh, list. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, they, they put the subtitles in too. I was like, really? And then Lewis was like, it's okay, just hold it in. Just and then the lip door was open and then we walked to the carpet. 
<laughs> how long? Because you only see a snippet of it on the show. That pitch process, how long did you pitch for? So obviously we see it for a minute, few minutes on the TV show, but was that a one hour, 30 minutes, 45 minutes? How long did that pitch go for? Yeah, it was about 45 minutes to an hour long session. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, we've spoken to a lot of other businesses since there who are obviously also on the show. And we actually found out that ours was one of the shortest ones, like being like even 45 minutes to an hour. Some people were in there for like two hours. Yeah, so really, really hard negotiations for some people. But yeah, it was a really cool experience. Like we were terrified going in because we had no idea like how aggressive they were going to be or not aggressive or friendly. Like we thought, they're going to rip us a new one, you know, like they're going to just tear us to shreds. But they were so lovely and they were all so nice and supportive. And that was like a really good thing to see is these icons and titans of their own industries, like actually being interested in your business and what you have to say. And it was kind of an imposter syndrome sort of thing. Like we're in a room full of people who are already super successful and, and like have managed to achieve amazing things that like you can only ever dream of. And they're like really buying into your idea and, and can see like you've got a journey and a future in what you're doing. So that was really cool. And yeah, especially seeing like Robert Hirsch back there, like in the US one, like that was like a, yeah. Fangirl moment. Fangirl yeah. So tell us, how did you come up? What was your offer? So you obviously wanted some amount of money. You had a valuation. So the question is, what did you value the business at and how much equity were you prepared to give away? Funny story. Originally, when we first went on the pitch, we were going to go in for 5% for half a million valuing the company at 10 mil. Bearing in mind, we've never been anywhere close to like making that sort of revenue. And then we've thought about it realistically and we were like, that is too far-fetched. Like, I think it's because you always think, this is the potential of my, what my business where we wanted be. to be. This is where we wanted but to be. But that's not how an investor would view that. They would say, what would you value it at now and why? Yeah, yeah. so then we constantly reviewed it and we came to a very more realistic sort of expectation of where it is like as of today for when we went on the show, knowing obviously we probably had to have like a little bit of wiggle room in there for some negotiations too. So we went into the tank with uh, 250000 for 10%, valuing it at 2.5 mil. Then we went through the negotiation process with them inside the tank which they actually did themselves. Yeah, they did a lot of ne- negotiations amongst themselves. And we weren't expecting four sharks to come in on the deal. And I remember them saying at the beginning, let's the four of us go in at 5% each. And they're like, ah, actually, that's not enough equity. Let's go at 7.5% each. So 30%. And then they increased that to 375000 for 30%. And we were like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that so, sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And I think when we first originally went in there, we never expected to get such a, a unique offer. And to actually have all of them want to come in on it with us was such an amazing opportunity that when we were in there, especially, we just we just had to say yes. Like there was no, there wasn't a, an option where we were going to come out and say no. So yeah, that, that kind of set up the whole journey for us. Did you have one particular shark that you definitely wanted? Who was the one you wanted? Who was your number one if you only had one? Oh, it's hard to say. I feel like they all like, are amazing in their own way and they would all... That's why having a whole team of them was just like, oh, this is so epic. This is the most epic team we could possibly think of. When we actually, before we went on, they did a little scene where you look at all the all the faces, all the portraits, and then you pick which ones you want. We actually said, oh, we can't pick because they're all so good because obviously you, you do have Savvy for marketing and then you've got Davey for e-com and you've got Jane, obviously, for like retail and like getting your business and building a brand out there that's so globally recognized as well. Yeah. You've got Robert, who's like an absolute weapon in the US and like around the world yeah. who could really help to scale your business. So um, just by having them for like wanting to come on board with us, we were like... That's like the dream moment. And you're just like, oh, wow. 
Well, I was fortunate enough to do the due diligence on Conti Cube. Being the accountant for Sabri, I was fortunate enough to do that. I did about nine DD. So Sabri bought it, made offers to a lot of companies. So for our listeners, I'll share a little bit of the back end. So what happens is investors go on the show. I didn't know how long it takes, but it takes an hour to two. They do a pitch and the investors make an offer. Now, that offer is not binding at that point. There's a post-production or post the offer. There's a due diligence process that people like myself go in there and do some DD. Now, I did about, I believe it wasn't eight or nine. It was about six DDs, six or seven DDs, and it means due diligence. And, and all that's doing is just verifying the numbers, making sure it's real and it actually exists, and giving my opinion. And I have to say, of all of the DDs that I did, yours was my favorite. And I didn't know the product that well. I hadn't seen the show yet. The show had not been released at that point. All I had was the numbers. The show was going on later. And I remember speaking to Sabri and I said, Sabri, you've made offers on a lot. There was two that I really liked, but yours was my number one. I'm like, this is awesome. You got it. This is the one. Put your money where your mouth is and make sure you write that check because it's really good. So take us through now where that's at because the show only went live recently. Tell me about... Are they on board? Did they all actually commit? Has the money transferred? Are you working with them? Now that you've got business partners, what's that been for you and where's that at? Yeah, love for Lewis, what are your thoughts on that? How's that been going? That whole journey was brand new for ourselves as well. So just preparing documents for due diligence and like going through that whole play, you feel like it's like the ATO, like going through things, you know what I mean? Like it's tax time, like it feels like that. And then, but that was really good for us to actually to kind of look at the business and a way for us to like see where it truly is at from a numbers perspective too. So to go through that process was really unique and something that we really actually like really enjoyed too. And then, yeah, to get to like the stage of you've got through all that now that like they know the business is legit and you're just negotiating based on like what they can bring to the table and what your expectations are and stuff like that. So after that, basically, we, st- we are actually still going through the contract process. So we're on contract stage now. It's taken a long time because there's obviously so many businesses that they've got to get through in terms of being able to process and go through. And because our deal was so big, we have like four different parties to even deal with. So you've got different communication. You've got all these different options and all these different people that we've got to deal with to even get like answers and things with. So that's obviously prolonged the process. And then coming up towards the end of the year when you've got Black Friday and all these other things where their businesses are busy and we're busy. So like it kind of like knocks on. So we're hoping to be able to like finalize some stuff early next year. But that being said, throughout the process, we've had support from all the sharks. So through the Shark Tank airing, Sabri's team helped us and supported us with like optimizing our pop-up to like be as good as it possibly could be. Davey supported us a lot with e-com support and making efficiencies within the business there and, and getting us into like the mentorship and stuff like that as well, even without obviously signing on the dotted line. And Jane as well has been extremely supportive of like helping us with some of the R&D that we're doing and connecting us with other business people and inviting us to events. So we've been to about three events now with Jane and just networking with her community and getting exposed to that, which is something super rare because they're putting time and effort into you without even having a full commitment of this is actually going to go ahead and stuff. So that obviously helps us to build a relationship with them and trust in like their ability to do what they're going to do and, and go along the journey. But yeah, I mean, you can feel like a very lonely place being an entrepreneur when you start a business, but to be with people that have already walked the path and are already further down the road than, than you are and, and already can see the pitfalls, that's really like comforting, I guess. So like be like, oh, we know that we're on the right tracks. So we just got to kind of believe in the process and continue to walk down there. And at least we've got, 
people now in the business that can support us where we need in decision making that sometimes can be really challenging as a small business to kind of work out where do we go from here. I want to commend you on a couple of things. The first thing is I remember getting the numbers. You actually were very well organized. So one of the things for business owners there that are looking on bringing investors, my tip as an accountant is be organized, make sure you know your staff and you were so organized. You could just see that the business, even though it grew so fast, you didn't drop the ball with lodging your GSTs and your BASs and making sure you're compliant. Because when you do a due diligence, you're looking for, yes, the business can be successful, but have they got their operations in order? So if you guys were behind in your lodgements of returns and things like that, that tells me you either got poor help or you're unorganized. And they're the little things that people like professionals like myself look for. So you did that really, really well. After really watching the show, what I loved about it is, and Sabri made a separate video just on this, your pitch was so good. I was like, can I go into that television and just put some money down as well? But your pitch was so compelling. It was amazing. You have an amazing story. And we talk uh, you know, a little bit about storytelling in other episodes of The Bottom Line. And you have an amazing story. Sarah, your mum's involved in the business from the idea perspective. You're an Australian business doing amazing things. I can talk to you forever because there's so many things that I'd love to just talk to you about. But I'd love to get you on in about a year's time, maybe in six months' time, after the guys are on board a little bit more. Because the thing that I want to dive into is challenges that business owners face as they scale and how those problems are solved. So I'd love to keep that in mind as you grow because I want to get you back on the show. But in the meantime, I want to say thank you so, so much for sharing your expertise to our listeners. You've built an amazing brand, an amazing business that you should be very, very proud of. And I just want to say thank you for joining on me on the bottom line and all the success in 2024. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for having us. I'm yeah. so excited to recap. I know, right? This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.